Hey everybody, it's Aaron from Coraline Sporting Goods, and we've got our first episode of Hunt Hard Talk Free. Uh, we've had customers come to us numerous times asking us questions about sheep hunting, about gun choice, about all sorts of things, and we thought, let's get this information out there to the internet, and you can watch our videos, and if this is something that continues to grow, we'll, we'll get it as a full-on podcast. So um, feel free to add comments, like, share, whatever you need to do to, to get this out there. So on this episode... <laughs> it's okay but yeah so on this episode i've got greg johnson the man the myth the legend the one and only he's our head gunsmith and one of the co-owners here at Corlane sporting goods and he lives for this he is uh a sheep hunting extraordinaire so greg johnson uh welcome to the show tell us a bit about yourself in the Corlane's family well as you described yeah i'm head gunsmith here been here about Oh, pushing 20 years now. And yeah, for sheep hunting wise, I think my first sheep hunt uh, started in 2003 is when the first mountain bug set in. Yeah, so. And how'd you get into it? Oh, it's just one of those things, you know, you'd, I just gravitated to it. I mean, it's not like deer hunting and elk hunting and moose hunting didn't satisfy a guy. Um, but the lure of the mountains. I mean, the mountains, once you've been tough to shake so yeah yeah and then yeah just snowballed from there i mean we we experienced success you know a lot of people sheep hunt five six years before ever getting their first rams and things like that um what was it for you second year okay yeah how many hunts like were you doing one hunt a year or a couple hunts a year or? one hunt a year and then grew into trying to get two good hunts in a year but i mean just starving student type thing. I mean, you can only sneak away so many <laughs> Days weeks from work. off work. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So no, it uh, it evolves. You sure? I'd like to have a full month in the mountains, no matter what, every year. But that doesn't always happen. Life kind of gets in the way. Yeah, it'd be yeah. nice to be twenty-one days straight and then go again late season or something like that. But yeah, whatever. Take what you can get. So sheep hunting. Sheep hunting is seen as the the pinnacle. It's like the elite hunt of all hunts out there. Why is that? I think some of it comes from the fact that not everybody can actually participate in a sheep hunt. You know, you know, you have to be from a mountainous region. Hmm. If you're from somewhere else in Canada, Ontario, for instance, you're not going sheep hunting. So only the elite can afford it, for instance, right? You know, they're going to have to travel outside and book a hunt to hunt within, say, Canada, even BC. I mean, you're going with a licensed outfitter, um, Alaska would be your cheapest doll sheep hunt that you can get right now, but then you got the Northwest Territories, Yukon, and BC. That's it. And Alberta, you know, parts of Alberta right. for Bighorn. But yeah. And and what do they run? Like, what's a guy going to spend if they're going to book an elite hunt like that? Sixteen US for probably a, in Alaska right now, up and upwards of sixty grand for some of the sheep. You know, wow. for uh, yeah. So, so if you live in these locations like BC, you can just go out and hunt pick up your $68 tag and your general <laughs> yeah. license and off you go. Yeah. So we're sitting at the driver's seat. We we can really participate in something that uh, is only dreamed about by a lot of people. Yeah. So we're, we are extremely fortunate to have this in our back door. Yeah. We, we have customers come in that have never done it before that just say they're driving up the highway looking for a good spot to park and just head off hiking. So you can get into it relatively inexpensive gear that you may already have that you'll you'll realize after your first couple of days in the mountain you should have spent a little more and got some new hiking boots or something but uh but yeah you can really start with minimal supplies to begin with Absolutely. and and grow on that from there excellent yeah. I, I i mean i'm trying to take in as much as i can because i'm about to go on my first sheep hunt here in about two weeks so trying to be like a sponge and take as much in as i can and beat the hell out of myself on the on the hills with 50 pounds of weight on my back and and just trying to get into shape and slim down and and I'll, I'll I'll let you guys know how that all turns out in about two weeks so yeah so yeah um when it get uh, one of the first things that we should look at with gear is your firearms optics that sort of stuff are there specific rifles or things to look for in a, a good sheep hunting rifle when you're setting up yeah I mean you get asked this question all the time and you know, like you'd mentioned, your backpack is going to weigh 50 pounds yeah. and your rifle is going to weigh between 6 and 10. Yeah. 
So That's a big chunk of your overall weight. That's right. Yeah. What I always tell guys is that the mountain hunting and sheep hunting is all about time. So if you pack a lighter rifle that you're proficient with and it can shoot well, and it's two pounds lighter than your favorite rifle, that's two more pounds of food. Yeah. Because basically just think your pack empty. Burn all your crap. You've ate all your food. Now your pack only weighs 35 pounds with your rifle and your tent gear miscellaneous. Yeah. The other 50 pounds that you want to have is half the of sheep. a sheep. <laughs> okay. So calories are a big thing. If you can, you know, late season, it's your clothes that burden you down because all of a sudden you need to pack an extra pair of pants or thermal layer. Yep. You know, all of a sudden you're picking up three or four more pounds of just clothes. Yeah. So your timeline shrinks. So late season, just spike out hunt. Usually we'll do, um, say, a base-type camp late season because you're always dealing with snow and stuff that's hard to deal with. Yeah. You get soaking wet late season. You got no sun hours really to dry out. It's miserable. It's cold. It's crappy. So it's nice to just go suffer for three or four days, come back to a base camp, dry your crap off, and then run up a different valley, etc. You know, you kind of break it into two Couple, parts three day. or three parts. Even. Yep. You know, like if the rams are moving around in the rut, they might not be here yet, but they've showed up on this ridge or this range. So you just got to go find them, yeah. see where they're moving. Makes sense. Early season, you know, you have the weathers on your side, so you tend to pack less clothes. I mean, I pack one pair of pants. Really? Okay. Yeah, I pack a pair of pants. Yeah, and if because guess they get what, they're gonna wet. stink the first day. <laughs> they're gonna stink the tenth day. Like you're not coming out and picking up and women they, in these if pants. If they zip after. off to shorts, I'll burn the legs off them for the walk out. You know. Yeah. Um, and a pair of long just something to sleep in or whatever. But yeah. rain pants. If it's wet and miserable out, I don't wear pants. Just wear your light rain pants all day, every day. Hmm. You never have to dry your clothes out there. So you'd have one pair of standard pants as well as rain pants? Yeah, just, just standard pants yeah. and a rain pant for early season. Yep. If it snows on you, just put your rain pants on. Now you got a windproof layer. Like a lot of times when I'm glassing and it's windy, like you get, it can be 20 above and then all of a sudden it's snowing 15 minutes later. Yeah. You just slip into your rain pants. It keeps the wind off you when you're glassing for hours. It and it just makes a big difference for your th- just keeping your thermal yeah controlled right yeah makes sense um and often that's it i mean you the very first sheep hunt you go on you'll know right away you is pack that you'll too pack much too much crap. <laughs> that's what i'm hearing i swear to god my first pack i didn't have a scale at the time but i had so much crap in it it had to weigh near 80 pounds <laughs> heading up the mountain yeah just what you want. Spend like two or three days up there, yep. turn around, come back to a base camp, and dumped out half of it. <laughs> and I've never, I, if you don't use it on your first sheep hunt, you'll never use it on your second, your third, or your fourth, yeah. right? You know? Yeah. I mean, you need a knife, and it doesn't have to be a big knife. Yeah. You just need a knife, and you need something for finesse work. So like a like a Havilon to do your finesse work, and Absolutely. just one good hunting knife. As soon as they come out with... You know, everyone used to, I just used to pack exacto like those yep. box knives, just pack them. Yep. But then when a Havilon kind of come along, you got a lot more comfortable ergonomic handle. Yep. Way more, way more efficient. You yep. know, you stubby blade or a longer blade for different scenarios. Yep. So my bino holder has a zipper on the bottom. I just stuff a Havilon yep. and a, two or three spare blades in there. I don't care if I shoot a moose. That thing's going to be gutted and skinned, even with that. Yeah. I usually pack a more fixed blade knife call it a camp knife just for general wear and tear a guy's got you never know it's nice cutting joints and and digging around faces and pulling the lower jaws off and everything with a real knife instead of breaking havilon blades off inside of them i've also heard of stories where guys needed to cut their rope to tie off their animal because it was hanging off the edge of a cliff kind of thing for them to work on it as well so yeah you never know what you're going to need that knife for bingo so, yeah. and I mean, a, a good fixed blade knife or a folding knife that has a decent cutting surface yep. that you can use more like a tool. Yeah. Um, All around. Even a camp tool or something. But again, yeah. not too often you need a pair of pliers up the hill, but yeah. odd backpack repair and things like that. Sometimes you got to bend some wire crimps or yeah. do an impromptu fix. Back to rifles. Yeah. Um, so you were mentioning 
cut the weight on your rifle, get something lightweight. It doesn't have to be your favorite everyday packer. Have mm-hmm. a rifle for sheep hunting. Um, are there any in particular that stand out or things you should look for when picking out your mountain rifle yep. and possibly calibers that you'd recommend? Yeah. The, the one of the things is guys always, what's the best all around caliber for everything? You know, up for debate. Up for debate. <laughs> and the number one answer is just like boats, you have a small boat and a big boat. Yeah. There's not one caliber that does everything. Yeah. When guys always ask me, oh, I want, you know, I want a small caliber that's decently flat and efficient shooting and very low recoil. But packing lots of energy in case that grizzly steps out. But that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. You're never prepared for that. No. And it doesn't matter if you've got a Lapua tied to your pack frame and you can't get it off or your gun with no energy tied to your pack yeah. frame and you can't get it off. So Yeah. In the unfortunate event of a grizzly encounter, nothing you have in your hand seems big <laughs> enough at the time. No. But we all know that basically those encounters once you're up in sheep country i find i have a lot less encounters with bears than i do in the mid part of the hill between basically alpine and that mid brush where the berry belts are and everything else that's where i find most but a lot of your sheep camps are are in the alpine and the bears are usually below you you know the berry crop isn't all that good up there so yeah they're cruising the ridges too and digging up marmots and stuff but they want the easy I have a, food. I have a lot more issues with bears You in moose camp, caribou yep. camp, you know, things like that where you have a lot more meat laying around yep. and it's in their natural travel corridors. So, you know, it's hard to prepare. Long story short, bring the smallest caliber you think you need because you will shoot it better and it's going to be lighter, yep. more compact, shorter barrel. And, and that's the win, right? Yeah. Um, Ease so, of shooting and sheep are not rugged, tough. I mean, they live in the worst country in the world, but they're not robust. Uh, like a goat will soak up a lot more lead on average than than any sheep. Sheep are fairly easy to kill, so you don't have to be packing a three thirty eight wind mag to tip a ram over right. on the rocks, right? So interesting. Yep. So, so like the Creed, the six five calibers, the yeah, the, your short action type calibers. Yeah. Um, all day long. I think with the introduction of the 6.5 PRC, yep. if I had to pick a caliber right now, that would be, hey, I want to shoot an elk when I come off the mountain and I want to hunt sheep with it. Yep. So it's fairly low recoil, extremely efficient, rock 140 grain bullet at about 3,000 feet per second. Yep. That's probably the best rounded mountain caliber right now. Hmm. Um, you know, it's and it's great for a lot of people because it's commercially available ammo now. You don't yep. have to hand load. It's not something you have to do a bunch of work yeah. for a, a first-time sheep hunter. That's it's not some wildcat Yeah, it's not some wildcat that a guy's got to spend so much time and effort to develop and load. And, I mean, a lot of people seek that type of cartridge because it's really rewarding to pull that Make ram, load. pull the shell out, and turn that shell into a dead sheep. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. That's start to finish. Right? Which you still can do. <clears throat> Yep. But like you say, the 6.5 PRC or, or, or the Creedmoor or the 7 odd 8, yep. anything like that, you can buy off-the-shelf ammo yep. that in the right, whether it's the, yeah, um, the Hornadies. The or, now, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's affordable, and they're performing very well. A lot of them are doing sub-MOA um, right off the shelf out yep. of the box. So. And if you took a 300 Ultra Mag and built a 5-pound gun, that's a very hard gun to shoot on an impromptu rest. Yeah, you can sit down on the bags at the range, bolt it in nice, really get behind it, and shoot an accurate group. Yeah, tell the same guy who just shot that half inch group to go and put that on a set of V sticks or lay it on their backpack, and he'll shoot a three and a half minute group with yeah. the same gun he just shot a half minute group a second later. Yeah, because recoil amplified with clothing, bad rests, <laughs> angle, the whole show. Yeah, so you shoot a smaller caliber, you can be sloppy. And still maintain it. Like basically, my standard is if I can just throw a bipod on the front of a gun, yep. sit down in the grass, and shoot sub MOA at 200 yards, that's magic. Yep. You you don't need anything better than that. I mean, you're just fooling yourself. I mean, that's that's a 10 inch group at a thousand yards. You know, that's it's, it's a dead animal no matter what you point no, it at. Yeah. That's right. So if you can maintain <clears throat> that off of an impromptu style rest or a natural rest like a backpack or just your toque on top of a rock. I mean, I don't know how many rams we've killed. Just <laughs> take your toque off so it doesn't scratch your gun and lean over the hill and 
pop them. Pop it. Pop them, right? Yeah. So you don't know what you're going to get when you're up there. And a lot of times my bipod is never on my firearm while I'm hiking. The bipod is put away because it hangs up on all the buck brush and everything. So I detach it. Good to know. So, you know, like I say, you walk over a hill, shape, just grab your gun and shoot it. Yeah. Um, If you have time, put your bipod on. Get your rest set up. Yeah. Yardage and distance is the other thing. Obviously, if a long-range shot presents itself, you will have time to prepare. Um, You don't just jump over a ridge and a ram standing there and you shoot it like you would (laughs) in a no-antler restriction moose hunt, right? Yeah. You have to verify age, curl, the angle you're looking at them can be really deceiving. You know, a ram walking away is just like a mule deer walking away. They all look huge <laughs> until they turn sideways, right? You get that nice flare at the back. Yeah. They turn sideways. The thing's a three-quarter curl ram, six years old, but it looks like a legal ram walking away from you, right? So. And when when it comes to the rams, uh, how old do they have to be? Uh, in, in BC, like your thin horn rams are eight-year plus. Yep. So anything eight years and older, you can shoot uh, even if it doesn't have a full curl. But that is one of those scenarios where experience and looking at a lot of sheep. Yeah. Yeah. Recommendation, shoot a full curl ram. Full That's curl, easy to tell. That's over eight years old. Yeah. Because then you get legal both ways. And anyone that doesn't know what we're talking about, full curl, what do you mean by full curl? In a thin horn, full curl means that that horn tip is going to extend past the bridge of the nose in a straight line. Right. On a yeah. jig. Yep. So when you see that from a nice side profile, it's usually quite obvious uh, when that, but again, it's, you know, you want to be under 500 yards a lot of times when you're looking at a ram that's a squeaker. Um, you're going to be there, you're going to be counting it. If You know, if you're looking at a ram, because, I mean, I've, I haven't seen them, but I've, I've heard of rams as young as five years old being shot full curl. Hmm. Wow. Super tight. But if it wasn't full curl, that's, that ram's getting taken away from you instantly because yep. it is not near the age. And, and even I, if even if they are the age, correct me if I'm wrong, um, you have to deal with broom tips and stuff like that. Even though there's a couple of years in that tip, yep. it doesn't count if it's not there. If it's been broken off, the age doesn't quite matter. It has to be countable age. Yeah. And then is, isn't, aren't there also rings normally below the hairline too? But again, they don't not count. Right at, you know, the older the ram, the tighter the rings are toward the hairline. So, yeah. but... Don't assume they're there. Yeah. But usually you can see when you start seeing the annual eye split up, you know, you have segments where, you know, each year it's getting smaller and smaller. So if all of a sudden the ram, say, on the horn looks like it's grown two inches that year and the next year looks like it grew four inches, often there can be a false annual eye in there where there was a stress and what analyze created when the horn basically stops growing after the rut, yep. it's just a point of lag. And then when it fires back up, it leaves a ring. Right. So if there's an injury or bad nutrition, sometimes that horn growth will slow and create that slow ring look and then start again. So it's a it's a tricky game. I mean, aging a ram and shooting it solely on age is something that, let's just put it this way, you want to be able to count 10. Yeah. So you got a little bit of rubber room there yeah. because you might have one false one in there. And yeah. if the ram looks young by body structure alone, it's probably not 10 years old. Like, you know, I've seen rams at the COs and at, at the Wild Sheep Society where they have like 25 heads laying on the table and you have to try and guess all their ages. Yeah. And even the professionals look at them and give them they'll be plus or minus three years on some of these rams just from their <laughs> own. And, and you're touching them. Yeah. You're at point blank. This yeah. isn't at 500 yards through your spot and scope. So diligence in that. And when you sure. when you say body, being able to tell an old ram from a young ram, what, do, what are you looking for? Just like just like looking at people. You know, you've got a <laughs> some teenager. Some sagging parts. Yeah, you got a teenager. You know, they look crisp and clean. they got beautiful faces. They don't have... They don't get that hump in their nose like the Roman nose style. They don't get the swayed back like an old horse. They, so the nose and the back are kind of the, the main things. Nose and the back, you get a big sway back, you get a big gut. Yeah. Body size is... I'm feeling the same way right now, actually. I know. I was going to say But body size, um, most, like, almost all the rams you harvest are 7 to 
10 years or give or take. I mean, there's older and stuff in there. And by seven years old, they're kind of their full body size. They don't get much bigger after that. Yep. You know, so it's not like looking at a goat where you have a, a three-year-old goat and a 10-year-old goat. Both are legal. You know, one they both have nine inches horns. This body size on this 10-year-old goat is just astronomically bigger than a three-year-old. Oh, okay. If they're nose to nose. Yep. But sheep, they don't become legal until they're pretty much mature right so it's body shape the sway of the back the guts you you if you look and that's where it's always nice to spend time even at a park place like a park where you can look at a lot of rams yeah park 500 yards back start looking at their bodies don't even look at their horns start looking at the bodies pretty soon you start seeing trends you're like that's an old gaunt hipped swayed backed ram yeah then go and start aging them, and you're like, holy smoke, that thing's 12 years old. Hmm. You know, so that, those are some of those things where if they look beautiful and clean and it's not young. damaged, yeah. It's immature. Leave it alone. Look at it. I mean, like I say, I mean, uh, ideally you should be trying to harvest an older ram because the older they are, basically, they're on their deathbed in, yeah. a, in a lot of ways. I mean, a seven-year-old ram, their carryover is really good. I think at at eight years old, if there was a hundred sheep on the mountain, rams at eight years old after the rut, fifty percent of those rams would be killed that winter. Essentially, really? yeah, like just weather, just natural mortality. Yeah. Wow, that's. And then as you go from there, that number keeps shrinking, right? Mm-hmm. So, the amount of rams that are ten plus on any mountain is very low yeah. because they usually basically they exhaust themselves so much during the rut and everything that they're dead on their feet by the time winter comes along. Wow. So that's why harvesting a ram 8 plus almost has zero effect on the population of sheep because most of them are just going to die. Of They're not the breeding mortality. stock. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. The, the rams, those 7 to 9-year-old rams are the breeders. Yeah. And, yeah, they just basically kill themselves during the rut. So it's interesting. Yeah. And different areas obviously have better mortality than others. But yeah. some yeah. of the studies a guy sees and details across the board. So when you shoot it. 11 plus year old ram it's fairly rare yeah because you know they buck the trend they've had good winters or success or they weren't really aggressive breeders yeah yeah and so we started with uh we, we talked about lightweight rifles calibers um optics what do you look for in optics for your lightweight mountain rifle and possibly how they how you attach them to your rifle because there's so many different styles of rings out there and bases and okay. and everything so so tell us a bit about optics Optics-wise, uh, probably best advice is your gun will not be treated great. Skip the 56 mil objectives and go to something in a 40 mil type scenario because when your gun's getting banged around, if your scope exceeds the width of your stock, yep. what's paying all the price? Oh, your scope's hitting everything. Abuse. Your yep. scope is being smashed well before your rifle. So, and it's just aluminum and glass for the most part. So that's right. So, I mean, I mean, I... I don't abuse my gun, but 99% of the time, my gun's just tied to my pack frame with a bungee cord. That's it. You know, yeah. and that's how it rides up and down the hill. I mean, you can look at my stock, and there's a line this way and a line this way where the bungee cords have been wearing at it <laughs> for years. Because uh, I like a bungee cord because I can rip my gun off of that pretty quick if yeah. I need it. And my slings, usually, because I pack an external frame, still kind of in that mentality. I, with all different loads that I work with and things like that, a pack frame... Is more versatile for me. Yeah. Sure. You know, everyone has an opinion on a backpack, but I like to pack all sorts of random loads. And if you guide an outfit, you'll generally pack an external frame because you're bolting on moose horns and capes and things, which are a pain to load inside of a bag. Yeah. So just bungee cord them to the outside and away you go. And on that note, aside from living the hunting lifestyle and everything, you have also worked for an outfitting operation, right? I've outfitted and, and hosted and guided, um, yeah, from moose, caribou, goats, and and uh, essentially sheep too. Okay, so I mean that's that could be a whole another podcast on its own because I bet you got some crazy stories and oh yeah, there's all sorts of things <laughs> happening on those. Yeah. Um. So so back to the sheep hunting. External frame is your choice. Um. Optics we're talking. Keep it more compact, just so you're not wrecking it, bouncing it off things. Yeah. When you Anything fall else down. To, look, to look for in um, your optics? Yeah, durability. Definitely you want something that is impact resistant, yep. like a proven good scope. So don't cheap out. No, don't, because don't buy the... there, you're not coming here for me to remount your scope. Yep. Once you're in the mountains, 
you're reliant on it 100%. Yep. You, A, probably won't take, you might have an Allen key or two in your backpack just in the off chance, but yep. basically your hunt is reliant on that firearm. A lot of times, if I'm hunting with three people or four, yep. we'll only have two guns between the four people. Makes sense. Because, well, that's another six or eight pounds that a person can add. Not that a guy's greedy, but if two people go sheep hunting, it's a lot of weight coming out. So if you have one gun, call it 10 pounds with ammo, sling gear, you know. You might even have room for the celebratory shot. (laughs) Bring bring the vodka up to the mountain to celebrate. No. Yeah. Your honey probably snuck that in your backpack while yeah. you weren't looking. But, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where I'm super confident in the rifles I run that I have a, a faith in them. Yep. You know, if I kick it down the mountain, I'll go pick it up. Might take a shot, double check my zero, but stuff doesn't break. Yep. You know, just just take care of it the best you can, but the odds of you falling down, tripping, or a horse rolling on it or whatever is yep. higher. So. And no one's going to be packing a spare gun and no one's packing a spare scope. Yeah. Sure, if you have a horse hunt or something like that, that might be an option. But backpack hunt, you put it in your backpack and that's what you get. You break your gun, walk home. Yeah. Yeah. You're, or you're tie some done. matches on it, make yourself a set of open sights. Yeah. And shoot that ram at 50 feet. You're not done. Your gun still works. Yeah. You just have to just increase look through your the ability. Just that scope and put that ram right in it. Eh? <laughs> But just get close and shoot once, right? I mean... Yeah, well, and guys archery hunt all the time, right? Guys yeah. will shoot rams with their bows, so it's cap- you are capable of getting close to oh, them. Oh, yeah. It just... You know, you we've killed rams with bows, too. I mean, yeah. it's not... What I'm saying is that adversity will land on your lap. Yeah. So either duck your tail and run or adapt to what you have, yeah. right? Because it's all you got. Yeah. Same as when you're trying to fix your truck and you don't have a tool set. You get pretty creative pretty fast. Yeah, pull out the logs and bungee cords and get that axle back in place. Yeah. and <laughs> make yourself a tire rod it, strap it together. And, uh, and, yeah. Yeah. You're, and, and it's amazing what you can come up with with what little resources you have. Right? Yeah. So. yeah. So guns, optics, um, there's lightweight mounts like the Tally aluminum yeah. lightweight. There, I have heard people say that they don't want to go with the aluminum just because aluminum's not as strong as steel. What are your thoughts on that? Yep, personal opinions. Um, you know, high-grade aluminum like 6061 or 7071, you know, those type of grades of aluminum. Mm-hmm. Proven good. Um, if you over-torque aluminum, yeah, you can potentially crack a ring socket or things like that, but that that that's a problem that was created it didn't fail you take a ring that's designed to hold 25 inch pounds it'll you can crush them to 40 sure yeah but you've just overdone it right? yeah. you know it's like anything you over torque the wheels on your car and you're gonna start yeah you know basically deforming your your whole lugs and hub and everything else or crushing the rim right yeah same thing applies for that weight uh, integral mounts like the tally where basically you have no union between the ring and base mm-hmm. it's all one piece again one less thing to come loose so yep. it does add yeah it adds that more integral uh, strength yeah, it's more integral strength and it, it, it eliminates one union yeah. so yep. why bolt something onto something when you can have something that's all one piece makes sense and basically truth of the matter is Everything is reliant on the four screws that hold it to the receiver. I don't care what kind of stuff you have above it. The four screws. screws that hold it to the receiver are the key. Yep. That's it. If you my you know, if you have an older gun or a non-custom gun or whatever that has number six by forty-eight screws, bring it into a custom shop like this, open those screws up to number eights. Now you've just increased your purchase huge. Uh, pretty much all the actions we're using these days have number eight screws. Yeah. I don't quote me on it, but I do believe the sheer value of a number eight screw is basically the same as two six forty eights. Oh, okay. So you're quadrupling. You take your, a lot more of a yeah, kicking. That's right. And it's something that can be done fairly quick and it's fairly affordable. Yeah, and, anyone and you can, can bring utilize their same tallies. You just open up the tallies to the number eight screw yeah. configuration. So as far as dollars spent. Yeah, good investment. Uh, now, what about things like Savage Axis, inexpensive starter rifles, Remington 783s? There's what we call those price point rifles. Yep. Um, before you get into what I'd call the ballpark $1,000 rifles, 
and then you can get into your semi-custom rifles like the Christensen Arms, or they, then you can jump up into a fully custom rifle like the ones that we build in-house, the, yep. the Rocky Mountain Rifles. Um, should a person look at avoiding those entry-level ones and jump into something a little bit better? What are your thoughts on... We, we got a spectrum from 400 bucks up to five grand, six grand, just for the rifle kind of thing. So yeah. what, are your, what are your thoughts? That's a good question because, yeah, there are there are mechanical disadvantages to some of the cheaper firearms. The accuracy potential is there. Like, I'm always blown away by some of these cheap, cheap firearms. Yep. Get rid of the package scope off of it, put decent optics on it. And they, you know, nowadays with the tooling and machining and everything, the accuracy window is narrowing. Guns are performing very well. Yeah. You know, from, like I say, from a 783 Remington to a Savage Axis. But where they're going to lack or what their kind of Achilles heel is in things like the extractor. You know, their plate style extractor, they're fairly weak. So you get up, and a lot of them aren't stainless for one. Um, so you get up on a long sheep hunt guns mistreated because you the weather's on it right whether yeah. you bring it inside or outside your maintenance is low yeah you're demanding a lot out of it and you're not putting anything back in so some of those style extractors are are prone if you were to say get a little rust in your chamber from it sitting around or shoot the shell go to extract it the extractor will pop over the shell leaving the cartridge or the spent, spent cartridge yeah. inside the chamber on a mountain hunt, odds are you're not packing a full one-piece rod. Yeah. Or a partitionable rod. Lots of times you just have your boar snake. So now you have a spent round stuck in your gun you can't get out. Hard thing to remedy on the mountain. You know, things like that. Where yeah. you get into the more premium guns, they're going to be coming with an extractor that is like five times the durability. It'll damn near want to rip the head off the case before it leaves it in the chamber. Yeah. If you have a severe incident like that, nothing's on your side you know that's something that you're gonna have yeah. to bring to a gunsmith to extract out of your gun yeah um and then the stock flexness you know the flexiness of their stocks you know you get onto a rest like an impromptu rest the stocks are so wiggly that you're gonna be contacting your barrel you're gonna interfere yeah. with how it shoots so yeah worth investing a little bit of money in, into your cheap rifle yeah your, i think you know lightweight mountain rifle you know, I think of all the things that I own. Sheep hunting's not all that expensive because once you're there, you're there. Yeah. It's not like you're going, you know, you're staying at a hotel and having to eat breakfast. Every, I mean, yeah. you got your mountain house in one hand, you got your spork in the other. That's dinner. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, it's your daily expenditure. Yeah, $12 a day for dinner, and yeah. you're going to eat a candy bar and whatever else you have. So it's fairly cheap, you know, in that sense. Yeah. Uh, gear is your best friend, and a solid rifle. But optics is paramount. Um, you know, you're identifying the animal is yeah. the toughest thing. Yeah. And sheep hunting's all about the glassing. So. Yeah. And so along those lines, you got to find that happy medium with your optics as well outside of your scope because you'll need binoculars, spotting scopes, and there's range finders. <laughs> there's all that as well. So yeah. to say sheep hunting is not expensive. I mean, hunting in general is is quite an investment in gear. But you want to make sure. But it, the same gear. I mean, you know, you have your things that wear out. Your yeah. boots and your tents and your sleeping bags and yeah. things like that. But I mean, a, a rifle can last you a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Your, you know, your spotting scope. Buy a quality spotting scope. I mean, the only re- really reason to upgrade it is new technology comes out and it is improved off year one but yep. the uh some of those investments yeah they seem solid at the beginning but you're going to use them for moose hunting you're going to use them for elk hunting you're going to look yep. you know use them to look at stuff all over but it's it's worth it um and then then with the other gear you talk about um you mentioned like the boots and stuff like that a good pair of boots i mean i've i've had a same pair of hiking boots for seven eight years but they haven't had the crap kicked out of them. They haven't yes. been in the the, the rocky mountainous shale, terrain. Shale, yeah, shale, right? it's it's just more <clears throat> backcountry hiking and hunting around here and getting on and off a quad and through mud puddles. So I mean, you get a lot of life out of them. Yep. When it comes to sheep hunting in that shale, what kind of life can a person expect to get? You know, depending on like I spend a lot of time. You know, like I say, I sheep hunt. Try to sheep hunt twenty days of the year, but yep. so many other days are just mountain hiking, scouting. Yeah. You know, whether it be just 
you're in the mountains. But once you get up into the shale and everything else, I mean, a full good leather boot, you'll know a good mountain boot because the bottoms of your soles will still have air bobs on them and the sides will be just peeled right off. You'll just wear them and they look like little horseshoes <laughs> when you're done from side hilling. Yep. And it just eats the soles off. And it doesn't matter if it's a Vibram sole or a Kenetrek sole. It just eats the sides off of them, and the leather of your boots gets carved up. It's going to happen. All the time. Yeah. It's going to happen. Odds are you're going to... You, I'd say on average with a premium leather boot, and I've wore them all, Yeah. and I've wore them all out. Do you say I have a favorite? You know, there's been boots that have lasted longer and been better, say, for waterproofness or, or yeah. easier to condition to keep good. Yeah. Um, but on average, I'm... Four years is kind of the lifespan of a boot in my world. It can be less, you know, if you're doing full guiding seasons like these guys that do 90 plus days guiding, they'll go through boots every year or sometimes every second year, Yeah. depending on the terrain they're in. If you're, you know, in moose hunting and elk hunting and all that kind of stuff, you don't get the abuse and the wear on cuts and and the toes of the boots just take an absolute beating. Like I swear, I've almost seen through the... (laughs) <laughs> the soles of, just from kicking rocks all yeah. day long right and it they're sharp they're virgin rock they're not like nice round river rocks yeah they're just razor blades every one of them so and then so we've got we've talked about our guns our optics um touched on the range finders and all that sort of thing we then have our camp gear so stoves there's a dozen different types of, well there's hundreds of stoves out there uh have, have there been any that have really stood out for you that it's your go-to yeah i pretty much have now jet boil type family is it because number one i hate doing dishes so when i have multiple pots and pans drives me crazy because you make oatmeal or itchy band soup in a pot now it's all scuzzy and you got to wash it out yeah drives me nuts so with the jet boil you know i wake up in the morning i make enough water for my oatmeal yeah which i have a little collapsible bowl or a flat bowl something like that pour the hot water into that bowl it lays flat wash it in the moss done fixed (laughs) then i just use the rest to make a hot chocolate or a tea done breakfast made moss is pretty much like palm olive right it's got all the same cleaning properties kills bacteria mountain clean just don't (laughs) use your old socks to wipe your dishes that's about the best advice what what could go wrong yeah what could go wrong yeah you think the beaver fever is bad on your guts yeah try the the homemade sock fever yeah. So you don't make your soup in your sock and use it as a strainer and that no, sort of thing. No, oh, that's okay. for Bear grills. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, no, the jet boil is fantastic. Everything's contained in one unit. Yep. Your stove just fits in the dang thing. Yep. And the, you can have a boiling cup of water in your hand and hold it and then mix it up, drink it. Yep. When I'm on the trail, I often pack my stove. It's a luxury, but I pack it during the day. Oh, yeah. Sit down, make a hot soup in the middle of the day. Yeah. You know, you're sitting there glassing and it's windy and crappy. You make a hot soup, you feel like a million bucks, right? So soup, are you talking like uh, like Lipton packages of soup? Or yeah, are you talking or like but I love packing house. like itchy band soups. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'll pack them things. I love them. You know, pretty much every story I tell, here I am cooking up a bowl of itchy band and out walks something. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that a guy I just like him, it's a happy spot. Yeah. Those Lipton little quick packs are, they're deadly too, but... Um, it's your band. I like the noodle part. Got me it's through just, university, it'll get me through sheep hunting. Exactly. <laughs> you didn't die in college, nope. so it, nope. obviously you won't die. And put then... On, put on the freshman 40 there and take it off in the mountain. Is it pre- I thought it was only freshman 5. Oh, <laughs> man. I think I was like 80 pounds going in and came out. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so the, definitely the jet boil... Um, very first starting off sheep hunting was like a pocket rocket type system yep. with white gas. You you always had the risk of leaking fuel. You don't do it upright, you dump all your fuel out, you're done. Yeah. I mean, people say, oh, it's a cartridge, you waste the cartridges. When I, if I have leftover cartridges, I just use them at home or when I'm camping and I burn off the remainder of the fuel just cooking camp coffee or making I just, stuff around house yeah i just picked up a thermocell that ties right onto one it's it's the lightweight mountain one that you just thread on so i mean as you've used them up for or for hunting if you have a little bit yeah. left in the bottom mosquito repellent for the rest of your trip or whatever yeah I mean, like yeah you know i'm not 
I'm not worried that I left two ounces of fuel in this can. I'm going to pack it out. I'll use it again. You know, I don't care. But when I start in a mountain hunt, every one of those cans is full because I know how long and how much water I can boil with this and this. Yeah. And that's good enough. And just a little shout out from CN Rail. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, it's about a that local time train. Yeah, heading by. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so talking about the stove and a bit about Mountain House, there's Mountain House has been kind of the go-to for ages for Yeah, it's backpack. just one of those brands that, it you know, you just hear the name Mountain House and you associate it with Alpine food. Yeah. Right? Yep. Now, there's a lot of companies out there that do freeze-dried type meals yep. and different configurations. Just Mountain House is just one of those household names. It's the right? go-to. Yeah. Uh, we did get in some of that Happy Yak, which is a Canadian-based company, which is kind of cool we've uh sampled some of it and it just gives you a lot of different flavors that you wouldn't normally get if you want to diversify your food and yeah. so far we've been we've been happy with it and got good reviews so far so um outside of your base meals what are your thoughts on nutrition in the mountains so i mean are you a trail mix guy are you a bring junk food guy just get as many calories into you guy what what are your thoughts on the rest of your nutrition for your sheep hunt yeah so like nuts and raisins and berries and trail mix is awesome because yep. it's extremely high calorie weight ratio nuts are fairly heavy no but the paybacks is pretty good you get a lot of oils and gear and a lot of fat like fats bonus right yeah you know um typically like i say nutritional wise instant oatmeal with a handful of trail mix into it hot water perfect you probably got five six eight hundred calories depending yeah. on how many nuts you had like a handful of nuts is crazy the amount of calories it has but it also has a high weight value right so plan on eating your nuts first then pair your pack down um bars i pack a lot of just single serve protein bars or some sort of nut filled bar with added because but focusing on healthy yeah healthy but i have a ton of coffee crisps you got the snickers rolling jujubes out. and things like that <laughs> i mean the best part about food is if you're sick of packing it eat it eat it because sooner or later you're going to be leaving and no one brings home food yeah so yeah i mean sugar sugar right it's great it's but it's nice to have a sweet snack i mean i get yeah. sick of eating mountain house and and a protein bar or whatever itchy band only gets you so far with the nutritional value but it goes a long way like <laughs> i would be pretty grumpy if there's no itchy band in my pack but the um yeah we always pack lots of sweet snacks and stuff because you crave it i mean you just kind of you know you just have like a hot chocolate is you know golden it's gold yeah like yeah. i say yeah you just you can't wait to have that hot chocolate that night yeah you know you're gonna drink plain old water every other day yeah I pack a bit of meal once in a while too, as a you know, just a sprucing up things. Yeah. But yeah, a couple packets of hot chocolate for on a cold night, good deal. You know, because nice. you get stuck in your tent and you get snacky. You know, it was raining and crappy it's pouring weather. Pouring down rain. You'll sit there and it's kind of a recharge day, and you eat a bunch of food and you feel great. And then when the rain stops, you get out and you're like, hey, I feel half normal again, and off yep. you go. So back to sheep hunting. Um, Uh, in North America, there's the Grand Slam. Like, there's all these different levels of, of hunting and trying to acquire the North American 10 or the Grand... Yeah. But, but sheep hunting, it's the Grand Slam. And so what do you have to get shoot to, to get the Grand Slam? So a Grand Slam is four sheep. It can be made up of different species of sheep. But basically what it is... But not is four it, stone sheep. You can't just no, go shoot. Yeah. No, it's four subspecies of sheep. So you have your desert bighorn sheep. You have then a bighorn sheep, whether it be California or Rocky Mountain bighorn. They can be either or. Then you have your two thin horns. You have your stone sheep and your doll sheep. Those are the four rams that you can qual- that qualify for a grand, call slam. It grand slam. In BC, we have the opportunity to basically hunt five species of sheep, call it. There's the thin horn varieties. So you got your stone sheep, your doll sheep, and what they call a fannin. And in BC, a fannin is, or commonly referred to, it's 
it's a cross between a stone and a doll. It's not a cross, but it's a doll sheep that is light caped or a stone sheep that has an extremely light cape, almost white, but which is a gray saddle. So it's it's like a hybrid. Oh, okay. It's a subspecies. It's not recognized in the slam or anything like that. It's cut and dry. It's either a stone sheep or it's a doll sheep. But the Fannin sheep is just a beautiful white ram with a gray saddle. Really, really pretty. And then... Does it matter what tag you buy? No, for... a thin horn. Okay. A sheep tag in BC is a sheep tag in BC. Gotcha. There's no, you can shoot a big horn with it, whatever sheep it is. Yeah. You only get one. So pick one. And then we have the California bighorn and the Rockies all within BC. So really we can hunt five different species of, of sheep. That's that's pretty cool. Is there yeah. any anywhere else that you can see all like the five different those no. five different species? No. The Yukon the Yukon, uh, you'll have Fannin, Rams, Dolls, and Stones. Yep. Yeah. But in Alberta, bighorns only. Like BC is the it's the sheep province of you know that's it we have the most diversity of rams there is so we are in the epicenter of the sheep world for yep. sure yeah. that's that's pretty awesome yeah. pretty cool shout out for bc for having some of the best sheep hunting around um <clears throat> so there's different methods of sheep hunting i mean there's some guys that swear by horseback to get in other guys are jet boaters there's like what are your thoughts on on the different hunting methods, or it, it, it doesn't matter how it, you you know honestly it doesn't matter. You you said earlier in the earlier in this conversation, discussion. you know for me to just uh, want to go sheep hunting for my first time, I could hop in my pickup with a backpack on, drive north into the mountains, get out of my truck, walk one mile from my truck, and I am sheep hunting with oh. a backpack and whatever gear I want. Access, the reason that in BC we can pursue a ram in a general tag is that access is the limiter. Yeah. So, lots of country, few sheep, the access will eliminate pressure, essentially. Right. It takes a lot of effort to get into some of these places. So, I have been fortunate enough to hunt in almost all the ways. Yeah. Um, my preferred method, most go-to, two feet and a heartbeat. You know, most of it is go to location, whether it be by vehicle or quad or yeah. get to the end of the trail, strap on your boots and go. Yeah. Um, it's a good way to travel. Now, there's other guys that are, you know, I've horse hunted. It's a lot of work. So when I fall asleep backpacking, when I wake up, I don't have to chase my horse. My backpack's right there. But late season, a wall tent and a wood stove, <laughs> kind of cozy, you know. Like, yeah. So, and the distance traveled. Um, but I, we have walked countless kilometers, you know, like ridiculous amounts of distance by foot. Yeah. But instead of taking two days by horse, say it takes four days by foot. Right. I still get there. Yeah. Um, and during the whole time, I'm hunting and glassing because you don't know where you're going to run into these sheep. You know, most of the time, you're, you're not hiking across flat, barren ground. You are in the mountains moving from one valley to the next, say with a targeted goal. Yeah. You know, your objective is to hunt Mount Mega Sheep, <laughs> yeah. but it's 200 kilometers away. So, how are you going to get Do you have there? the location to yeah. Mount Mega Sheep? I, We're going to post it on this. Facebook, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. the. You know, so you have a goal in mind. That goal might be 50, 60 foot kilometers away. Yeah. But for 30 of those kilometers, you can or may run into sheep or other species you're looking for, goats, for instance. So you're doing homework the whole time. If it takes you three days to walk in, oh well. Well, and when it comes to the sheep hunting, there's some guys talk about wanting to get in on the early like get out there for the opening days so they they can shoot the ram on day one where other guys want to wait till the fall to do their sheep hunting does it make a big difference on how the sheep um like is are they nocturnal part of that time versus like is, is it better early season or late season for hunting the sheep well or? one thing about early season is you have almost 24 hours a day to hunt so sunlight Sheep is 100% visual hunting. If you don't see them, you can't chase them. You yeah. know, it's you know, not too often you're just walking down the trail and a ram pops up in front <laughs> of you, right? So 
it's glassing. So if you have more hours to glass, yep. whether you're actively moving around during that time or if you're just sitting and glassing hillsides and watching um, watching the skyline for movement and things like that, early season, less gear, better weather, more hours to hunt. Yeah. And if you can have your spotting scope on a hill for 18 hours a day instead of eight, you just doubled your effective hunting time. Yeah. So that's a that's a great advantage to early season hunting. Yeah. The rams typically just like deer and velvet call it. The rams usually are nice bachelor groups in their early season, mm-hmm. and they'll be up in the high alpine away from the bugs, kind of up below, you know, by the snowpack where the grass is dynamite. And, you know, they, they kind of go into a lazy regime. You know, they're happy. They're well-fed. Generally, they'll stay in this valley for weeks. Yeah. You know, just feeding in that valley. They have no reason to leave. As the seasons change or pressure happens from hunters, the rams now will move. And they're going to move from summer ranges and slowly transition into winter ranges. And the winter range is where they're going to be staging up to rut. So late season, you are hunting ram movement more than you're hunting way back high alpine meadows and bowls. Right. right. You're trying to intercept rams that are moving toward their traditional rutting grounds or yeah. wintering grounds. Yeah. So you're talking about put, putting on some serious miles of hiking um, when you're up there. What are your thoughts on pre-workout prep that sort of thing conditioning of your body to be able to take on this grueling i mean you see some guys that are sheep hunters that they're 250 pounds big dudes that i would assume would gas out pretty quick and easy heading up that mountain um what are your thoughts is it something that you should be prepping for two three months in advance or just hit it well hit the mountain yeah you can just roll off the couch and go sheep hunting. no (laughs) one's gonna stop you the I would say one of the bigger things that to your feet are your only friend, yeah. right? So if you are out of shape, you can be in good shape, you know, this and that. But if, if, if injury occurs, you're screwed. So preventative maintenance, yeah. spend the time, work a bit, hike with a pack on, find out if you have any quirks, you know, does my ankle explode after I put 60 pounds on? Does yeah. it want to swell up? You know, yeah. you know, you got to think about it that way. I mean, if you've got 50 kilometers to deal with and you know you're going to be packing that stupid pack the whole time yeah. and worse coming out, try to forecast how that feels. Yeah. I'm not saying, I would highly not recommend bolting on 80 pounds and pounding the <laughs> pavement every day because you're just wearing yourself out for no reason. Yeah, but throw 40, 50 pounds on and go hit the ski hill. Throw a bag of dog food on in your your backpack and hike. Yep. Pack half of what your max weight would be, for instance. Yeah. Hike with it and hike with your boots on. Hike in some uneven terrain. Get used to navigating The gear that that you're going to have. Yeah. The kind of weight. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and then, oh, I mean, like I say, Fat guys are great sheep hunters because they move slow, <laughs> and they're and you get the skinny guys get lots of time to glass while they're waiting for the fat guy to catch up. Right? So <laughs> yeah. it it does help to uh, what I'm saying. You can move slow. Bring a you're, chubby guy with you. You're gonna get there. If you don't have a chubby guy with you, you might be that chubby guy that the other guys brought. That's right. And put the fat guy in the lead. Oh yeah. Because then he'll never wear himself out chasing you. So yeah. Whoever's you know, and don't hide it. If you're like, man, I'm having trouble keeping up, tell your buddies, pump the brakes, yeah. and you'll lead. You set the pace. Everyone else behind you is fine, you know, whether you're three kilometers an hour or 2.5, who cares? Yeah. I mean, you're not in a race the whole time. I mean, yeah, if you're in the bottom of a valley and you're just motoring across the field, well, fine. But once you're up in Alpine, you're, you're targeted movements. You're moving with reason you know you're not just wandering around aimlessly (laughs) because they kind of see pretty good and they'll just you blow a valley out so fast sometimes you just walk into it and you're like oh hey you skyline over the top oh there's all the rams and there they go across we just spooked them out of the so fat guys aren't too bad to have around because they take their time you move in you spend a lot more time glassing which is probably the most critical thing is just look 
look where you think they're going to be, and then some spend some time looking where you would think there would be no sheep. Yeah. Because often, oh, holy crap, there's a lick at the bottom right down by the river. They've got a little, you know, salt little lick mineral down lick there. down there. Yeah. And they go down there every two days, and they're coming back up, and they're in the bush. You know, you're like, what? I mean, you see it all the time. You'll be down in the timber. There's goat hair all over the place, and, I mean, you're in the big spruce. And then you'll see sheep hair down there, too. And you're like, hmm. well, the only reason they're down there is either they're coming from one range to another. Yeah. Or there could be a mineral lick or a bleed around there that yeah. they frequent. Yeah. And they're, you can't see them all that often, but, yeah, it's movement. And all of a sudden, you poke your nose up on just some lonely ridge way before the big high alpine stuff that you think they're going to be in. There's rams bedded right there. Right there. So we've talked about guns. We've talked about packs. You prefer the external pack frame. Yes, um, we we've got into some of the other gear, like the boots and stuff, the 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 stoves, the jet boils being your your favorite. Yeah. Is there any other gear that you recommend that you won't hit the bush without when you're going sheep hunting? The must haves. The must haves. The must haves in my pack are usually a headlamp because. <laughs> you always end up in the dark. Yep. And it really is tough to navigate dangerous terrain without a headlamp. If you don't have a headlamp, just sit there for a while because, yeah, some of those mountain crossings and stuff, you're just, you'll get lost. <laughs> so hard, you know, when it when you have all the visual references, yep. when you're trying to find trails through specific areas, it's very hard to hit them in the dark. So when you get cloud cover and it's darker than the inside of a cow, yeah. That headlamp's pretty handy to get yourself back to camp and, you know, just safety-wise. Um, yeah, die-hard gear. Do you do you hike with poles? Yeah, I pack, a, I pack, I usually hike with a single pole so my hand's free to bino check and everything else. I have a spare because often I'll break them in the rocks on a trip. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you get them wedged in a rock <coughs> and you snap off. And you go up with one and come down with two if you got the weight, or um, yeah. If I'm if I'm not hunting and loaded, absolutely two pulls. Yeah. It takes a lot. Uh, it takes a lot of punishment off your knees, and it gives you extra strength going up. So if you're just going from a point A to point B and you're not hunting and you've got your full pack on, yeah. bust them both out. But while I'm kind of just meandering around the alpine, I typically just use one pole, up and down. Gotcha. Mainly because a pack two because a spare. Yeah. Um, I don't. I won't hike in the mountains without a pole. It's it's just I I'm accustomed to it, and what yeah. it allows me to do is be looking around. My pole is my crutch. Yeah. You know, if I stumble on a leg, my pole catches me. If I don't have a pole, all I do is stare at my feet. Yeah. And that does you no good because yeah. you'll walk right into something, and you're like, oh, whoops. So. With the pole, one hand free, bino check. You know, if I see something funny, I'll check. You know, look at this, look at that. And I find it's handy too. It works as a gun rest. You just put the, you know, you put your hand in your in your loop that holds your pole. Yeah. You kind of make a little cradle with it, and you can set your gun right in it. You can you can take a knee and shoot off your ski pole like a banshee. And if you have <laughs> two, all you do is cross the two loops, and now you have a shooting stick. You know, <laughs> like it's as versatile as you want to make it. Yeah. Um. So. There you go. You got your African shooting sticks. You're packing them on your backpack, yep. right? So if yep. it was a standing shot or some weird-ass shot that you couldn't lay down or get a proper rest, this other bonus about an external frame is you stand them on end, and there's a V where you're packing the top. top works for <laughs> pretty much a sitting guy. So, And they make a good windbreak, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so, and then gloves and a toque. Uh, you know, light gloves and a toque. I mean, I always pack that because the wind just drives you crazy. You're, you'll get earaches and stuff from a whistling through. It bugs me anyway, so some people doesn't. Um, but like essential gear, you know, the essential gear is your gun, yeah, your boots, your clothing, and absolutely rain gear. There's never been a time, I don't think I've ever been on a sheep hunt where you didn't get poured, poured on. on. Ten days, three days of that is probably going to be crap. Yeah. So you might as well be in, embrace it because it might be all ten days. Yeah. So <laughs> you don't know in the mountains. You don't know, and uh, like I say, I'm not leaving because of bad weather. Because why? You know, you spend all that time getting out there, and yeah. 
We've shot rams. The animals are still We've there. We've shot rams when there was the smoke <clears> was so <throat> thick, it was 500 freaking yards of visibility. Yep. So we stuck it out. Guess what? One day it cleared up. Yep. Dead ram that day, right? <laughs> you know, so if you're if you're not willing to just deal Endure with what it. you're throwing, it's not your game. Yep. You know, if you're the kind of guy who gets, you know, discouraged because, you know, you have one bad day of hunting, you will not like sheep hunting and you will not <laughs> go back. Yeah, you know, because it's it's a whole bunch of not exciting, followed by the chance of an extremely cool moment, right? Yeah. yeah. Do you have any other? Um, we're we're kind of winding down here. Do you have any other words of wisdom or um, advice for beginner sheep hunters that are just trying to get into it? That uh, mistakes that sheep hunters you've seen or you've heard or you've experienced yourself in, in all your own learnings being out in the mountains. If you had advice for sheep hunters, what, what would it be? The over-engineering it, you know, stick to the basics, leave the trinkets at home. It's a bare bones kind of hunt. So know what you need and just take what that's it. Minimal. Minimal. Minimalistic approach. Absolutely. Prove your gear beforehand. Don't buy a set of rain pants that you haven't tried to step over a log (laughs) with them wet. Yeah. Because you'll sure find out right away that the crotch hangs too low and you can't walk uphill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, those type of things, I mean, it's just so tiring and fatiguing fighting a pair of pants that doesn't fit right. That's soaking ass wet. Makes sense. You cannot make proper progress. And... You know, mental preparedness, be cool with being uncomfortable. You know, like they say, I mean, it's it's not glorious. It's It often sucks so bad. <laughs> you know, you'll... It's you the know, precipice of hunting, and you're going to hate it while you're doing it. Yeah, but the have to get out and do it again. The bugs will be so bad that you're just, like, you can't get away from them. Yeah. You know, it's only... You just want to be on top of a ridge with the wind blowing 100 mile an hour. To keep the bugs down. Keep the bugs off you. Yeah. And then you get bad weather stints. You get smoke. You get no sheep. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. I've heard lots of sheep hunters say, don't expect to get one in your first couple trips out. If, if it's new to you and you're just getting in on it, you'll you'll be making mistakes whether you, you're hiking the ridge line and they see the, your silhouette and they, they run yeah. off or you just don't spend enough time glassing. That's one and of the it, big things I hear is just look, 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 look. Because it, when you when you start seeing sheep, you start realizing what you're looking for. Yeah. You're never looking for a whole sheep. You're looking for the white stripes on the back of their legs or their rump patch. Yeah. I mean, a stone sheep laying down I was in a in a basin. Three of us were there. We were watching a goat. We we'd actually made a plan to kill this goat. Yep. But within that basin, there was thirteen sheep, all ewes and lambs. Okay. We were seven hundred and fifty to a thousand yards away from those sheep, and about the same distance from this ram or this uh, goat that we had our, uh, our kind of mind made up we were going to kill. But we are just figuring out how we were going to get there, not to blow out all the sheep in the neighborhood and so on and so forth. So we are just sitting back. During that time, a big storm cell come whipping down out of the glacier and just pounded us with rain for 45 minutes. So we hunkered down and just waited it out. The goat stayed out in the wide open and just continued feeding. It didn't care. 13 sheep disappeared from 750 yards to 1,000 yards from us and when the weather cleared, it took us 25 minutes to find one. Hmm. Once the sun come out. And not timber, th- no, like they're not hiding this is, trees. This is this is a place where there there's just rock, huge, there's there's some su- like scrub brush below, but basically it's just rock and grass. Yeah. You would think there wasn't anything bigger than your coffee mug on that ground. Hmm. That's how, I mean... It would be like spotting a truck in a parking lot. Like, that's the mentality of what we yeah. were looking at. Like, it was so obvious where they were. I mean, yeah. you could see them all. And we're like, well, we're the, they must have, we thought, maybe they just went up in behind or went over the valley. We didn't notice because yeah. it was really a hard rain. Sun come out within 25 minutes. Boom, there's one. You see one's head. Yeah. They never moved from where they were yet with 
a spotting scope and binos, we could not find those ewes. And they were 750 yards away. Most epic where's Waldo ever. Exactly. Searching for these guys. They just blended right in. They just tucked in the little shelves and the little hummocks of grass, and they disappeared. Wow. So when you walk up to a big alpine bull, you you just take your binos, you go like this, and you're like, no, there's nothing there. Yeah. You just wait. Sit down for five minutes, and you're like, there's a whole family of marmots. There's a wolverine. Oh, there's two sheep in the rocks right there. I just seen the head move, and I seen a glint of horn. The stuff that pours out of those vacant valleys is just amazing when yeah. you sit and look at them for a while. So take your time and pack light. That's that's take your time. Greg Johnson's words of wisdom. Pack light. And, yeah, work hard. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we're going to be wrapping it up, I think, unless there's anything else that you want to throw in there for, for the entry-level sheep hunters that, that oh, you... Oh, hunt with your physical equal. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's, it's always nice to hunt with someone who has the same kind of pace, the same kind of thing like that, because yep. then you're not competing against each other, because yep. you do. Inadvertently, like I say, with yep. the fat guy and the skinny guy, yep. the fat guy's always chasing the skinny guy, yep. which is prematurely wearing him out. Yeah. So, you know, if you hunt with your physical equal, you kind of have the same rest regime, you have the same wind, you both <laughs> can pack an equal amount of stuff, so you know that, yep. And often, don't get greedy. Just shoot one sheep with two guys because that's about all you can deal with. Yeah. Sure, everyone wants to shoot a double, yeah. <laughs> but you still have to deal with it. And yeah. in August and meat and everything else to do it right, yeah, you don't have, time's not on your side. So one sheep is a big bonus. You both were there. Yep. It's as much a trophy as it is yours <clears throat> as it is mine. Yeah. Depending on who pulled the trigger, right? Yeah. Makes sense. If you're in the photo, you were a successful sheep hunter end of story awesome you know so don't discount that you being a packer is as important as the guy who pulled the trigger yep so yeah excellent well thank you very much for coming in for this this has been fun and uh, it's really hard to find this location (laughs) (laughs) we both work here um no that was good and so if this is something that interests you and you're interested in any other um topics please Throw a comment below the video, email us, get that information to us. And if you want to see more, hear more, whether it's on gun tips, whether it's hunting, whether it's, you name it, if it's tied in with the the Core Lanes industry, we, we've been doing this for over 55 years and we'd love to uh, answer your questions. So uh, like I say, subscribe, like, and follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and uh, Facebook. Thank you very much for coming in, Greg. I'm Aaron. This is Greg and uh, Core Lanes first podcast, YouTube, whatever you want to call it. So get out there and hunt hard.